Welcome to Old Walls House. It's your main man and host, Old Walls, back again. Happy to be back here this week, guys. I know we had a little bit of a letdown, no football. I know it sucks, but hey, we still had a lot going on. We had a golf tournament. We have some crazy news off the golf course in the golf world. We got our Flyers update. We had some Olympic hockey. We had some fights this weekend. So we got a bunch of good stuff to get into. So like I said, football may be done, but we are not. So before we get all of that, let's just touch on that housekeeping I know you guys all love. Thank you again for tuning in. Uh, I appreciate it a hundred times more every week that you guys keep coming back. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I really appreciate it. If you can, please rate, review, comment, subscribe. Share it with your friends, whatever you could do to, to get it out there. I'd appreciate that so much. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh picked up the t-shirts, so we will be getting them shipped out here this week. I have to say I'm pretty happy with the way they turned out. They feel like a, a decent shirt, and then I didn't get just a crummy one. So I, again, I'm very happy with how it turned out, and we'll get those out to you as soon as I can here this week, and hopefully you'll have maybe end of the week, early next week. So Thank you to all you guys that did that. So with all that being said, let's dive into it this week. So now that football is over, this opening slot's wide open. This week I'm going to go with the golf. We've got a lot of news off the golf course as well that we're going to get to. But let's start with the actual tournament itself. The Genesis Invitational. This is a tournament now hosted by Tiger Woods. So the purses are, this is, they give that the invitational status as well as the Arnold Palmer and then Jackson Memorial. So purses are boosted, extra year of eligibility to the PGA Tour, three years instead of two. So just a little bit more of a prestigious event at a very good golf course, Riviera. Usually a very fun tournament that has a lot going on. This week, not so much, uh, mostly because Joaquin Neiman just played awesome, came out of the gate. On Thursday and fired a 63, backed that up with another 63 on Friday, kind of kept himself distanced by shooting a 68 on Saturday, and just an even par 71 today. So it just, it, it didn't have a whole lot of sizzle. There there came, a, there was a little bit of a point late where you thought something might get a little interesting. Cameron Young, who ended up finishing uh, tie for second, had hit it in a fairway bunker on the 15th hole, had to lay it up to, it looked like it was inside 100 yards. Ends up holding that out for birdie. That gets him to 17 under at the time. Neiman, who was in the fairway, or just left of the fairway rather, and had to punch one up to the front of the green, was 20 under at the time. Did not get that up and down. Had a pretty hard power lip on the par putt. So lead went from four down to two. And you thought for a minute you might have something going on because at the same time you had Colin Morikawa was up ahead, birdie in 16 and 17 to get to 17 under. So you had a couple people right there. Unfortunately for Cameron Young, he he, he couldn't follow it up. His next shot on the, the par three front bunker ended up not being able to do anything more kind of coming down the stretch. Morikawa actually hit one to about 10 feet on 18 that he could have made to get to 18 under and maybe put a little more pressure on Neiman. He wasn't able to make that. And pretty much right at the time he hit his shot to 10 feet on 18, Neiman had kind of just left a, par, a birdie putt on 17 just short. So 
Would have been a really different story if Neiman knew he had to make par coming up 18. Ends up making it anyway, and no real, no real fuss. Fairway green, and and he walks away the winner. His second PGA Tour win, and like I said, with the boosted invitational status, takes home $2.1 million for his second PGA Tour win. So that's a good win. It's a good field. It's a good course. A win to, to really be proud of, and he kind of did it going away without much much of any issue. So, like I said, a lot of the news about the golf this week is news from off the course. And the off-the-course stuff you're, you're looking at is there was a an article by Alan Shipnuck, and he's writing a book on Phil Mickelson. And Phil kind of let loose with him in this article about his involvement in this Saudi golf league, the SGL, that has lots and lots of money to it, and they've... There's been news that they have the 20 players that they're looking for to make the announcement, and they're going to make an announcement the week of the players. And Phil's talking about how he and three other players hired lawyers to basically craft the operating agreement for this Saudi golf league. And in the same sentence, he's talking about why would you want to do business with the Saudis? We know they killed Jamal Khashoggi, the reporter for the Washington Post. They have numerous other human rights violations. You know, they, they're throwing gay people off tops of buildings. I think he refers to them as scary motherfuckers, which they obviously are. And then he goes on to say, I don't even know if I want it to be successful, if, if that's even what I want. I just... This has given me the opportunity to reshape the PGA Tour. And as a Phil Mickelson mega fan, I just don't know where he's going with this. Like, what's what's the point? And he's talked about, you know, the PGA Tour players' media rights and how the tour owns them. And I know he's been pissed because Turner would have to pay a million dollars for, like, every shot they would they would take and put in promos that he's hit over the years. And he thinks the players should own those. And I guess that's a, a reasonable discussion. And he's kind of into the NF, like thinking about the NFTs and how that might go. But I just don't get the point in going into business with the Saudi government and using that as your leverage. Like, hey, man, if you're into, if you want to just go get paid by those guys and take the multiple, multiple tens of millions of dollars that they're probably willing to throw at you. Because they're kind of in this space where they're sports washing, and that's a term he used. And they're using some other avenues, and we'll kind of touch on that later too. But I just don't know what he wants out of this. Like, he wants to reshape the tour, and he's going to use the Saudi government and the SGL as leverage. So I just don't know what's going on with this thing. It was a, pecu- it was a peculiar, like, interview. And Phil does this from time to time where he says shit, and you're just like, man... Did you think that through? But this one seems even more out there. So I don't know. I'm very interested to see where this goes. I can't believe he was so open and being and, and telling people that he was the guy that t- worked with three other pros to kind of put all this together and hire the lawyers to get that going. So I don't know. I don't think anybody on earth loves Phil Mickelson more than Phil Mickelson loves Phil Mickelson. So... Maybe that's just part of it, that it kind of feeds into Phil loves himself, and now he gets to be a part of kind of setting the rules for this. So 
we'll see where it goes. I mean, it was reported, I believe, Wednesday that, that Bryson was in, that he'd been offered $135 million or something like that, and he was in, and he was good to go. I know a lot of people have been thinking Dustin Johnson was in, but they both came out today and said they're staying on the PGA Tour. Bryson's was kind of more like, hey, if everybody else is staying here, I'm going to stay. I think he said if the best players in the world are on the PGA Tour, then that's where I want to compete. I read that as a lot like, oh, everybody else is staying? Ah, I'm not going over there all by myself. Like, I'm going to stay here too. So I don't know who these 20 guys are that they're claiming they're going to announce this during the week of the players. That's just a couple weeks away now. So we'll see. I, I just don't – I don't get it, man. I'm mean, Like I said, if you want to just go take the money to take the money, that's whatever. I mean, I guess – I guess I can't fault somebody for that, but taking it from that that group of people is kind of another thing. But again, hey, if that's what you need to do that, that you think you need to do to provide for your family and set your family up long term, I'm not really going to get on you. But just the whole thing about using that leverage to reshape the tour is weird. And again, I, I love Phil, my favorite golfer there is. So it, I'm just, I don't know how to process it really. Uh, one other thing in regards to the PGA Tour um, word is that there were fines handed out to Harry Higgs and Joel Damon after they both went, uh, peeled the tops and went shirtless last week in Phoenix. And I find that a little bit annoying. If they were going to fine them, that's fine. I get it. Like you can't have people just probably peeling their shirts off every week on the PGA tour. I know Phoenix is its own animal and you, you probably don't want it happening there every week, but I thought it was fun. And the PGA Tour social media pages were all sharing that and pumping that out and taking the hits off it. So I think it's a little bullshit that they do that and then they come back down the line later and find them. And I know the guys who are handing out the fines probably are not the people running the social media accounts, but I don't know. Just get, the, get your institution a little more buttoned up a little bit. So uh, like I said... If you were going to fi just find them, I wouldn't have had any problem, but finding them after you pump out their images all over, and I guess this goes, this kind of touches on the Phil thing, the meteorites, right? But I think it's a little dumb that they were tw tweeting it and sharing it on Instagram and Facebook and wherever else they shared it, and then all of a sudden, you know, a week later, they're finding them for it. So a little bit of bullshit in my opinion there, but... I guess it's not the worst thing of all time. So that uh, that wraps up uh, the golf talk this week. They uh, they move to Florida next week, the Honda Classic, I believe. So we will definitely be covering that next week when I talk to you. So moving on. Now we go to the aforementioned Saudi Arabia. We had the WWE Elimination Chamber this weekend. And it was on Saturday afternoon, so didn't have a whole lot going on Saturday. I'm going to touch on kind of an awesome day I had Saturday later on too as well. But the Elimination Chamber event was in Saudi Arabia on Saturday. Like I said, there's been kind of some sport washing that the Saudi government's done the last few years to try and kind of give themselves a better name. Uh, they've made a deal with WWE to host a certain number of events there every year, and I believe the numbers that they're paying the WWE are pretty astronomical as well. So they're they're flaunting that money around to kind of try and give themselves a little bit different reputation. So we had this event this weekend, and like I said, I still have uh, I still had my my month of Peacock the cock from when I got it for getting the Royal Rumble, so I didn't have much going on. So I was I was in and out. I didn't watch every match. I think I watched three matches. Before we get to the Elimination Chamber event, though, Brock Lesnar was on the Pat McAfee show on, 
Monday or Tuesday this week. He was on for like 45 minutes, and it was awesome. He was looked to be having a blast. You kind of got to see a side of Lesnar you don't usually see. I mean, you rarely see him talk at all to the media, much less for like 45 minutes. So if you're a fan of either Pat McAfee or Brock Lesnar, I'd say check it out. I enjoyed it. Like, I'm a wrestling fan. I like Brock Lesnar. So I thought it was really, really fun. I thought it was kind of insightful into into Brock Lesnar a little bit. So on to the Elimination Chamber event. Roman Reigns versus Goldberg. It, it was what it was. I think the, the one Saudi prince loved the attitude area. So he always, like, begs him to put, like, guys like that on the card. The Saudis don't know how to do the Goldberg chant as he's entering, though. Was really disappointed about that. That's like the best part of Goldberg anymore is just seeing him walk out to the ring and the whole crowd chanting Goldberg. And we kind of missed out on that. So a little disappointing there. Reigns ended up winning by submission. It was a quick match. I was a little surprised he won by submission, though. I didn't think he'd see Goldberg tapping out. I don't uh, can't say I would have predicted that one at all. So also uh, Lita, who, again, old... Attitude Era uh, faced Becky Lynch. Um, the roommate was not impressed with the match at all. She said it's the daintiest looking match she's ever seen and very, very disappointed. She did notice that Lita's face never moves, indicating that there's probably been plenty of plastic surgery. And speaking of that match, Lita did her, her patented moonsault. And there was the worst fucking camera angle I've ever seen of all time. You didn't see any of it. It's like, that's the only good part of the match. The rest of the match did kind of suck. And the only good part was her doing the moonsault and they missed it. So, boo to that. Uh, also, before we get to the actual chamber match, they announced that The Undertaker was going into the WWE Hall of Fame. So they did his Hall of Fame announcement video and showed it. That's one of the best... It's probably, the, I think it's the best Hall of Fame announcement video I've ever seen done by WD. It was so badass. They were playing Sad But True by Metallica. And as I'm watching, I'm thinking, oh, it's cool that they're using Sad But True because he used American Badass as his entrance later in his career. And, you know, that sampled off Sad But True. And sure enough, as they kind of talk about that portion of his career, they switched to American Badass. I just thought it was so cool. I thought it was probably up there with some of the best WWE promo videos ever. Like comparison to Rock and Austin from WrestleMania 17. They did that awesome My Sacrifice video, the Creed song. They did that video in like the early 2000s, 2001 time frame. Shawn Michaels and Undertaker had a great promo video for their WrestleMania 25 match. And they did the Daniel Bryan monster video a few years back. So I just thought it was the most badass video I've seen in a long time from WWE. And definitely the best Hall of Fame announcement one ever. And up there with some of their greatest ever. So we get to the chamber match. We had AJ Styles, Riddle, Seth Rollins, Bobby Lashley, Brock Lesnar, and some guy, Austin Theory. I don't really know who he is. He was taking selfies all the time, I think, was his deal. Um, it was it was a good, decent match. There was a pretty cool spot where Rollins powerbomb Theory into Bobby Lashley's pod. They ended up using that as an excuse to pull Bobby Lashley from the match. They claimed concussion protocol. And I guess as it turns out, I read later uh, that night or maybe even Sunday that Lashley may actually have a, a shoulder injury, that that's actually why he couldn't actually compete 
and that was just their, you know, their way to write him out of the match. So Lashley goes out, concussion protocol, he can't come back. So it's obviously, it's the Brock Lesnar show now. Everybody knows what's going to happen. He's going to win. Before we got there, Rollins did a sweet reverse superplex to riddle off the top rope. That was pretty wild. <clears throat> and then the, the kind of cool Lesnar spots coming home. When it was time, when Lesnar was the only person left in the pod, the lights flashed to who's going to come out. Well, it flashed to Lashley's pod because he was supposed to come out next, but he was already gone. So Lesnar kicks open his pod door saying he's not waiting, shatters the, you know, the double reinforced plexiglass or whatever they say, and comes out, you know, kicks everybody's ass, eliminates everybody. And it's down to just him and this Austin Theory guy who's running around trying to get away from him, hides himself in a pod. Lesnar kicks the door in. The door just smashes into Theory. Good good look there. So then Theory tries to run away. And, uh, oh, he hits him with the low blow to kind of get some space. And then he tries to climb up out of the cage. And, the you know, the, 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 you know, the, the chains are, are wider up top. So he tries to get up there. Lesnar catches them. They're standing on top of the pod. And there's more plexiglass up there as well. And I always say that there's at least two to three times every match that Lesnar forgets that it's pro wrestling and he's not just fighting somebody. And he's just bashing Theory's head off this plexiglass. And it's like, there's it is. That's the moment Brock forgot it's not real. Like, Brock forgot it's not real and he's just going to kill this dude. And then he ends up F5ing him off the pod down onto the hard part. Um, so I thought it was cool. Again, I know not everybody's as big of a Brock Lesnar fan as me and probably other people shit all over the fact that Brock Lesnar won and that he's the WWE champ facing Reigns at, at WrestleMania and he, the, both belts are in one match. So I think it's cool. I think Roman Reigns has been doing some awesome stuff. I think this is by far the best Brock Lesnar we've seen in a long time. So I'm all set. I'll watch WrestleMania. I'll be pumped to see those two go, go at it. So Brock wins. He heads to WrestleMania. He's going to face Roman there. What's up, everybody? It's MJ with another edition of 60 Seconds with MJ on All Walls House. Wally, it's been a good week. Uh, you know, a little sad, no football, um, but golf ramping up again. Um, you know, college basketball kind of getting right to the end. Those conference tournaments coming up and the NCAA tournament. Um, so just really quick, though, I wanted to, you know, give a shout out to the Olympics. You know, it's something I know. Um, that's been talked about a little bit, but, you know, shout out to all the U S men and women out there doing their thing, winning gold, silver, bronze. Um, it's big time. So, you know, I know they don't get a lot of coverage throughout the other parts of the years, but shout out to the USA, shout out to all the countries in the Olympics, uh, big time. It's been really fun to watch. I hope you guys talk about it on the pod. Uh, good luck. MJ gone. It's flyers update time. And as MJ just mentioned, we're going to talk a little Olympics, talk some Olympic hockey here as well, too. So the Flyers, don't worry, everybody. They still suck. Two losses this week. Just just tack them on. Just tack them on. Losing in only ways Flyers can. So head the pens back on Tuesday, I believe. 5-4 overtime loss. Came out, started well. Claude Giroux gets them started. one nothing lead. 22 seconds later. 22. 20 fucking two seconds later. The Pens tied it. Two and a half minutes after that, they have a 2-1 lead. I mean, just incredible. You can't write this stuff. 
So then the Flyers look like they're for real. They come out second period. They scored three goals. 4-2 lead going into, going into the final period. In that final period, there was another stretch where the Pens scored two goals in about 20 seconds. That tied it. And then 30 seconds into overtime, the Pens scored, put us out of our misery. 5-4 overtime loss. Sidney Crosby also scored, I believe, his 500th goal in the game. Don't totally quote me on that, but it was a milestone goal. I think it was 500. So a couple nights later, got the Washington Capitals. The Flyers came into the game 30th in power play scoring. Now, again, when it comes to hockey, whole walls, your man here, he's a moron. Dumb as a fence post. But it can't be good if you're 30th in the league in power play scoring. Might be contributing to a little bit of why we suck so much. However, Mr. Mayhew, he did score a power play goal in the second. Ended up scoring another goal later in the game as well. So good game for him. But then it comes down to the third period. Winning. 3-2. What happens? 254 left in the game. Give up the game-tying goal. And then about a minute and a half later, as only the Flyers can do, just letting up goals in bunches, they let up the what would be the, essentially the game-winning goal. Another goal is scored on an empty net uh, just a, another 40 or so seconds after that because why wait too long and end up losing 5-3. So Flyers still suck. Um, Olympic hockey, the men lost in a, a shootout to Slovakia. They gave up a late goal in that as well, lost in the quarterfinal. I was asleep, not going to lie to you. That was late. I was I was in and out. The game started at like 10.30 my time. It would have been 11.30 on the East Coast, so just no chance I was ever making it through that one. The, the women ended up taking uh, the silver. They lost in the gold medal game to Canada, so... Good run by the women. The men weren't able to, you know, put together such a good run. They knocked out in the quarters. And as far as the USA overall, fourth in the medal count here in the Winter Olympics, trailing Norway, Germany, and Russia. Some some countries that I believe, if I can remember right, usually do pretty well in the Winter Olympics. So, been a good Olympics. I've, I've tuned in and out a couple times on some things, and it's uh, it's given me something to watch when nothing else was on. Let's talk some college basketball. I've caught myself watching more college basketball this year than I have in the last couple years. So I caught like four games this week, essentially. Two Duke games and then two Wisconsin games. So we'll start with Duke. They had a a real tight one. I I caught just the end of this one. Real tight one with Wake Forest. I turned it on thinking I was going to see Wake Forest beat Duke. And it came down to a buzzer beater put back dunk by, I think, a gentleman, Mark Williams, maybe? With just a few seconds left on the clock. Duke escapes, knocks off Wake Forest, big favorites in that game. And then Saturday night, they were playing Florida State. And Florida State was playing them tough. Florida State had beat them earlier this year at Florida State. But Duke, they were up two. With just under four minutes, like 3.50 left. And they went on a 12-2 run, I believe, to end the first half. And just kind of never really looked back there. 
went into the half up 10, I believe, and expanded it out. Ended up winning 88 to 70. So Duke looks to be pretty solid. They found ways to win a, a couple tight games and, you know, take a team that had beat them early in the year and avenge that loss. So also watched two Wisconsin games. And Wisconsin may have one of the better players in the nation and Johnny Davis. So I caught the second half of Wisconsin at Indiana, and that was a good game. A little chippy, nothing too crazy, didn't get out of control, but you could tell they were they were heated, they were going at it, it was a good game, it was back and forth, Assembly Hall was just bumping, that looks like a great place to play a game, the crowd was really into it. Johnny Davis had 30 points and 11 rebounds in that game and made a lot of big shots coming down the stretch. And then caught the uh, Michigan-Wisconsin game on Sunday. Wisconsin ends up winning by about 15 or 16. I forget exactly. They were tied at half and then played a very good second half. Johnny Davis again, 25.6 rebounds. But the story of this game is in the handshake line at the end of the game. Juwan Howard, the coach of Michigan, former Michigan standout, longtime NBA player, part of the Fab Five at Michigan with Jalen Rose and Chris Weber, took a little offense, I guess, to the way a timeout was called with like 15 seconds left in the game. And the scenario is Wisconsin's got their, their bench kids in. They're up 15. There's 20 seconds left, I think, to correct myself. And Michigan's pressing. And the coach for Wisconsin said basically he called a timeout because they were only at four seconds to get across. I'd actually stopped watching the game at this point because it had gotten so out of hand, and I just wanted to catch a little bit of the start of Daytona 500. And next thing I know, I'm like looking through Twitter. I'm getting texts. Did you see what happened? Well, he was pissed at Greg Gardner, Wisconsin, called that timeout. It's like, why are you pressing the backups when you're down 15 with 20 seconds left? I just don't get why you're so pissed. Like, if you're still playing, why shouldn't they play? So he takes exception to that, and I guess he said something to the Wisconsin's coach in the, in the handshake line. And Wisconsin's coach, he touches Juwan Howard, and he shouldn't have. Like, don't put your hands on somebody else. But then before you know it, they're getting separated. And then out of nowhere, Juwan Howard sends a big over-the-top kind of right-handed slap, palm push. And I don't even think he hit Greg Gard. He hit somebody else. And then it kind of breaks down and both teams start going at it. The announcer was incredible, though. Like, he just he went from basketball announcer to, like, half WWE, half boxing announcer, like, on the flip of a switch. Just, a right hand from Howard. Oh, my. And then he breaks it and he's like, there's a scrum. It's a scrum in Madison. I mean, it was just incredible. I've watched the video probably 35 to 40 times. And I lose it every time the announcer gets going. So kudos to that announcer. I, I should have found out who that was. But that dude makes the moment so much better. Sean Howard's probably going to get in a little bit of trouble. He has a little bit of the history of this. He was kind of freaking out last year at the end of the game in Maryland, so I would imagine he he sits out at least a game or two. I'd have to think the smart thing would be just sit him out the rest of the year. Nobody will remember this come next year, but 
it's a moment that probably is, I'm, I think, is funnier than a lot of other people do. It obviously shouldn't happen. You can't be swinging at people in the handshake line, but the announcer really turned it into an, a hell of a moment. So, Juwan Howard may not finish out the year. I don't think they're going to fire him, but I, I'm just guessing he doesn't coach, for sure doesn't coach all the games to finish this year, might not coach any of them. So, that was my week in college basketball. Now, the fight game. This is kind of much like golf. There was some fights this weekend, but kind of the bigger news is some out-of-the-ring stuff and some future fights that are getting set up. But let's start with the stuff in the ring. We had Amir Khan and Kel Brook facing off this weekend over in England. These two have been kind of rivals for, you know, 15 years or so. Have never liked each other. Have never faced each other. Kind of one of those boxing things that should have happened, you know, five, six years ago, and it's just drug on and on, and and now we're at these two guys at the end of their career fighting in a fight that didn't really mean anything, but just because there was so much bad blood, it, it had some interest to it, so I tuned in, I was excited for it. On the undercard, there was a guy, though, Brad Ray, he comes out to Morning Glory by Oasis, I believe he's a, a local English kid over there was from right around wherever they had the fight at. And he had a knockout of the year contender. He knocked Craig McCarthy the fuck out. An overhand right and a left uppercut. Just a great knockout. That was a, a fun moment in the, in the undercard, which otherwise was pretty crummy. Um, but so on to the actual fight. Michael Buffer was there. He's the GOAT, man. Just... If you want a big event, you bring in Michael Buffer and he makes it feel 10 times bigger. I love boxing entrances. I think it's the only thing that they miss out on in UFC is sometimes they're just kind of too quick and right to the point. I think the glitz and the glamour of the boxing entrance makes the event a little bit bigger. But again, I'm a WWE fan, so I kind of like that aspect of it. As far as the actual action goes, it was pretty good for like three or four rounds. In the first couple rounds, Amir Khan had a few moments, but Kell Brook was hitting the bigger, harder, more significant punches. And any time in those first two or three rounds, it looked like you could shade around to Khan. Brook finished finished the round real strong and was pretty much wobbling Khan every time he hit him with anything of any substance. Props to Khan. He kept coming back, but Brook ends up winning a pretty dominant TKO in the sixth round. And like I said, outside of the first, second, maybe even third, I don't even think the third, there was, wasn't was much of a question at all that, that Kell Brook was, was the winner. And, and by the third or f- middle of the third, fourth round, it was not so much if, but, but when it was going to end. So Kell Brook, the winner, TKO in the sixth round. And, and just looking at it, it looks like Kell Brook probably has a fight or two left in him. I can't see Amir Khan coming back. He just looked like he didn't have it anymore. His legs, like I said, every time he got hit with anything big, his legs, was he was on wobbly legs. So moving on, we had Jaime Munguia was uh, facing Demetrius Ballard, and he wins in a TKO in the third round. He was just battering Ballard around, just totally outclassed him. That's a different level of competition for Ballard. So it's time for Munguia to fight somebody real. I mean, he's been he's been in the game for a while now. I think this was the 38th pro fight. So there's uh there's some people at middleweight that don't have fights. You got, you know, if you got Triple G, Charlo, and- Andre, 
you guys, you got lots of guys out there, Royota Murata, like they're all going to be kind of coming off stuff and some are going to win the Canelo sweepstakes and some won't. So it's time for him to get in some big fights. So speaking of Canelo, the Canelo saga for his next two fights continues to evolve. I think we talked last week that Mike Coppinger said he'd agreed to a deal with Eddie Hearn of Matchroom and DAZN that he would fight 170-pound titleist Bevel in May and then move on to Triple G in September. Well, Coppinger's standing by that report. He says Canelo's agreed to it, and they're just waiting on Triple G to sign his end, and they're just hammering out a few little details there. Canelo's kind of come out and say, hey, I haven't agreed to anything. And now there's a new offer on the table from the PBC, who had previously offered a one-fight deal of about $45 million to face Jamal Charlo. Well, now they've upped that to a two-fight deal to face Jamal Charlo and then David Benavides, both at 168 pounds, in the neighborhoods of $100 million. So now he's got two two-fight deals, both worth, worth up to around $100 million on the table. Charlo and Benavides from PBC, Bevel and Triple G from DAZN. So be real interesting to see where he goes in that. A lot of people think Benavides is the biggest threat to him. Triple G's, I think, the biggest box office, but Bevel is probably maybe the worst matchup for him stylistically and the worst performing box office match as well. So it's an interesting kind of give and take and where you want to go. So very interested to see where that all goes. Also in the fights that may or may not happen, may or may not be signed, we have George Cambosis has reportedly agreed to fight on June 5th in his home country of Australia. The leader in the clubhouse at the moment for who's going to get that is uh, Lomachenko, who's apparently agreed to everything on his side and is just waiting on Cambosis to agree to his end. Lomachenko has said that if that's the case, he will go to Australia like a month early, finish his training camp there with plenty of time ahead of the fight so he doesn't have to worry about any COVID issues popping up and getting in the way. So. That one seems like it's a little more done than anything on the Canelo side. I know Coppinger's sticking to his, uh, his guns, but we'll see where both of those go. Now time for everybody's favorite, my passing thoughts. Let's, uh, let's start off with the NFL. I know I promised you guys a little bit of NFL predictions, way too early predictions. And these two are going to kind of go hand in hand, so bear with me for just a second. It's been announced now that Rodgers and Shailene Woodley broke up and that she wasn't happy with the amount of time he was spending focused on football and she didn't feel like she was getting enough attention is some of the things I've read. And as I'm kind of thinking back about all of this now, it, it, it's starting to make sense. I'm going to go a little tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist on you. It's starting to make sense why Rodgers all of a sudden this summer was unhappy with the Packers and was complaining about things. I almost wonder if she wanted him out of Green Bay. And again, this is just, I'm just speculating here. I'm just going total tinfoil hat guy. Did she want him out of Green Bay, out to the West Coast, closer to her in Hollywood, so she could, you know, have a little more attention to her? And he kind of was going to the Packers with this kind of list of, of demands that couldn't be met and thought he could force his way out. And by the sounds of it, it... They weren't, they were on a little bit of rocky ground maybe later into 2021, you know, as the football season progressed. 
And then all of a sudden, you've been hearing a lot lately about how Rodgers is very happy with the situation in Green Bay, and there's been reports that all signs indicate he's coming back. So maybe, just hear me out here, she wanted him out of Green Bay. He was kind of going along with it. As their relationship starts to break down, all of a sudden he's realizing he's much more happier in Green Bay now that nobody's trying to move him. He's okay coming back. They did have to work on some things with the Packers as well, but he's okay coming back. And all of a sudden, now that she's out of the picture, he's he's much more okay staying in Green Bay. Just a hunch. Just a hunch. Because all this stuff came out that they've apparently been broken up for a little while now. So just, just thinking that. So, okay. So my, my way too early prediction. This is piggyback off the Rodgers whole scenario. The Tennessee Titans... Go out this offseason and get Russell Wilson somehow. I don't know what they'd have to give up, what kind of contracts. Just bear with me. They go out and get Russell Wilson. They go to the playoffs and meet the Green Bay Packers. I'm doing it to myself. I've said I wasn't, but I'm doing it. The Packers, they get Rodgers back. They kick the can down the road one more time. They figure it out. They put it together somehow, some way. They make a magical run. And they meet the Tennessee Titans, led by Russell Wilson in the Super Bowl. I won't make a prediction on that. I've already just hung myself out. They're way too far on a limb. And that limb will surely break around week one of the NFL season next year, probably. Probably long before that. But there you go. That's my Rodgers has broken up with Woodley conspiracy theory wrapped into predictions for next year's NFL season. So how do you like them apples, everybody? On the home front, we've got a pizza stone, the roommate and I, and we've really been experimenting with it and, and struggling. It's We don't have one of those pizza slider things with the big thing to toss it onto the pizza stone because you got to put the pizza stone in the oven and get it hot. And then by the time you try and transfer the pizza, everything's getting all the dough's falling apart. So the pizza debacle continues in the old wall house. Um, sticking with a little bit of the NFL theme, the Super Bowl, 112.3 million viewers, most watched show in five years. So a very well a very well received Super Bowl, at least from the viewership standards. Uh, I saw that Conference USA was releasing their football schedule, and that they were releasing it with three teams: ODU, Marshall, and Southern Miss, who have announced that they're leaving the conference, still on the schedule. So I don't know how that works, but they're going to try it. So that's interesting. Also saw a stat that the last 16 quarterbacks to lose the Super Bowl in their debut have not been back. Uh, just off the top of my head, it's like Burrow, obviously, Matt Ryan, Kaepernick. I'm trying to think of who some of the other ones I saw was their... Uh, Oh, gosh, I can't think of them off the top of my head. But 16, the last 16 quarterbacks to lose their Super Bowl in their debut have not been back. Pretty crazy. Uh, Dan Marino's another one on that list, so that was a, a wild stat to me. <laughs> Apparently, um, Patrick Mahomes, this is, a, this is all rumor too, I believe, told his brother and his wife that they can't go to games anymore because they're causing too much of a distraction. And I saw a meme. It's a meme of Rodgers and Mahomes shaking hands after a game. And it's like, 
perfect. I will tell you exactly how you alienate your family and get them to stay away from your games. You're on the right the right path. Let me give you the next step. So I thought that one was pretty funny. Uh, on Twitter, I saw this dumbass. I, I don't even remember his name, and I'm not even going to look it up. He doesn't deserve it. But he had a theory that if he played in the NBA and teams were, like, feeding him the ball, that at least once he would score 20 points. That he could just post up in the corner, and if they were looking to get him the ball, he could make enough shots that he'd score 20 points. And I wanted to climb through the Twitter the Twitter machine, find the dude and slap him in the face until he came to. The dude may not get off 20 uncontested shots in any one game. Like, for him to score 20 points, he has to take at least 20 shots, because at best he's making half. And the dude looks like a dweeb, by the way. So, there are idiots. We are surrounded by idiots. What else we got going on? Oh, I saw this was a funny tweet, too. So, in relationship to the, the Juwan Howard freaking out about the timeout, said, Fab Five still having issues with timeouts. So, I thought that was a great tweet. This past Saturday, I had a great day. We got uh, some deli meat, some, some cheese from the deli, a good, nice roll from the deli in town, and had some sandwiches during the day, watched some golf, had some beers, watched the fights. At night, I made a nice ribeye. Had a good good glass of bourbon with it. That was just a that's just an all time kind of day for me. So just a just a real winner there. Just love love sandwiches. I don't know if there's anyone on earth. Maybe me and Joey Tribbiani, who uh, who really love sandwiches. On the on the notion of food here, I want to talk a little bit about now. It's no sheets, it's no Wawa, but Quick Trip. Quick Trip out here in the Midwest has come a long way. And they've got a sausage croissant breakfast sandwich. I'll tell you what. If you guys ever find yourselves at a quick trip, don't be shy in checking out that sausage croissant breakfast sandwich. Maybe if you're looking for a little sweets with it, mix in a dunker as well. One of their dunker donuts. That's a, that's a breakfast that uh, will help you gain 20 pounds in, uh, in a short, short amount of time. But it's delicious. Also, firehouse subs. Had, had a firehouse sub traveling for work this past week. Firehouse Subs is the best subs from a chain sub style restaurant that there are out there. Firehouse over Jersey Mike's. Don't at me. That's the truth. Uh, finally started watching uh, Reacher, the Jack Reacher uh, show on Amazon Prime. I love it. I'm like halfway through. I binge watched like three or four episodes one night when the roommate was had a hair appointment. Feels like it's really... A lot more faithful to the to the book. They have uh, the guy Alan Richardson, I think it's his name, playing Reacher. He's a tall dude. He looks like he's like 6'5", 280, which I think at one point in the books he's like 6'4", 260. So it just it feels more like the books than the the, uh, the movies with Tom Cruise did. And again, Jack Reacher's supposed to be like 6'4", 6'5", and Tom Cruise is a fucking midget. So that just obviously didn't work great from there. I love Tom Cruise and a lot of other stuff. He's just not Jack Reacher. So, great show. I'd suggest it. Also, the Terminalist TV series is coming to Amazon Prime July 1st. Chris Pratt is going to be playing James Reese. Those books are awesome. Books written by Jack Carr. I'd suggest The Terminalist. I think it's Terminalist, Savage Son, True Believer, Devil's Hand, and then he has another one coming out in May. So, so check those books out and check out that show when it comes out. So, that's all we got for Passing Thoughts this week. 
Closing time, everybody. Time to open all the doors and let you out into the world. But thank you very much, everybody, for coming back again this week. Again, I, I really appreciate you coming back and, and tuning in. And I appreciate everybody who got a shirt. Thank you so much. We're, like I said, we're going to get those out to you. We will be back next week. There's going to be a lot more to talk about. We're going to be previewing next week. We're going to preview the Colby Covington-Jorge Masvidal UFC fight. That's going to be... I think that's going to be a banger. The The trash talk's really going to get going. So really looking forward to that. We'll have some golf to cover. There'll be hockey. There'll be more college basketball. As always, my passing thoughts next week. So again, thank you so much, everybody. I appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you next week. Peace.